When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, Sanologic fans. Um, we just learned last week that Little Richard had passed away at the age of 87. We did not know that at the time of this recording. Mike and I send out our deepest condolences to his family and friends and all who love this incredible pioneer who did so much for music. Um, our hearts go out to all who mourn his life. And we hope that we did justice with these episodes. No credentials. Reviewing Rolling Stone 500. Greatest album. Welcome back to the Sound Logic Podcast, everyone. Today we are discussing album number 50. Can you believe it? 50 episodes. Ooh. Today we're talking about Here's Little Richard by Little Richard. Oh man, uh, we'll jump right into it. Uh, is Little Richard an artist you listen to a lot, Ben? I'm going to guess probably not. I've been a big fan of Big Richard, but Little Richard, um, not so much. <laughs> I don't know which came first. <laughs> that's, that's not even that funny. I don't know why I laugh so much. <laughs> Uh, um, no, no. Little Richard is not an artist that I'm very familiar with at all. Although, uh, you know, my, I think my assumption before getting into this album was that similar to things like Elvis Presley or um, James Brown, there'd be songs that I would know or at least have a familiar vibe. Um, and yeah, I think I think that is the case that even though I haven't been very into this artist, his music has been around long enough that there are songs that immediately were familiar going through it. And and some new stuff too. So, yeah. Yeah, a couple of familiar, like, we'll talk about Tutti Frutti, but Tutti Frutti, I feel like I've heard forever. Mm-hmm. Even if I didn't know who it was by. But Tutti Frutti's just kind of, just everyone's known that forever. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, brand new. Um, Any other preconceived notions? Any things that you were thinking before pressing play? I expected that it would all be very similar to each other. So that it would all sound okay. like 2D Fruity. Or I'm not sure if I even knew any others. Long Tall Sally. They would all be very similar. That it would yeah. all... I, I guess in my, my very uneducated, ignorant assumption of what little richard sounds like in general what is it's kind of very showy very commercial uh very listener friendly mm-hmm. that's what i thought it would sound like and th- again that is a very uneducated guess and presumption of what his music sounds like because i have very little experience with it so that that is not me yeah. saying that that's what he sounds like at all <laughs> yeah what about you? Did you have any expectations? No, I think my expectations were similar to yours. I, I guess the only thing I might add is that the way that he uses his voice, kind of like, uh, you know, he he's, he wails quite often. It's an instrument. Right. Um, it's not just used to sing yes. words. I think that's that was my assumption too. Uh, you know, the the refrain of Tutti Frutti. Um, Wop bop a bop but bop bam boom. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but you know that's, that's not that's not that's not words. I, that's just uh, you know he's 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 filling with his voice almost as a, yeah. a sort of scat jazz musician does. Um, and he, I think, one of his signatures is that kind of high pitched wail um, as a as a verse pause or transition into the chorus or to emphasize a note or a high point. Um, so th- I guess that was my thought too. I think similarly to Stevie Wonder and Elvis and a couple of the other like really big names we've talked about when it comes to solo um, 
musicians or artists, I think he's almost become a caricature in my mind. Like I can, I can almost picture people's imitations of little Richard, um, more so than I can picture him, uh, for whatever that's worth, you know, uh, right. that, that he's sort of become bigger than himself. Uh, and, and that's something really fascinating for someone who's still living, um, to, to have been around long enough, I guess, to, to have that kind of occur. He's kind of got that look too. And I don't mean to say that in a negative or offensive way. He's, you know, he always looked very showy and a little different, you know, with the mustache and, yeah. uh, maybe not in the early years, but a little, a little bit of eye makeup, um, hair, sure. a, a lot of, a lot of male, uh, performers had hair like that in that time, but I think he kind of just went a little bit of a step beyond. So I think that he's a bit of a target for people, you know, uh, caricaturizing him or turning him Mm -hmm. into a caricature. But I, I think it is kind of the level of iconography that he has become as well. I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, We'll do some details and we might circle back to some of that. This album was released March 1957. It was Little Richard's debut album. And important to note, this is the fourth oldest release on the Rolling Stone Top 500. Oh, good pull. I I say fourth oldest release because there's music that's earlier, like we listened to Robert Johnson, but that disc wasn't released until you know, 1990 or 2000, or they've done yeah. a couple of ones. Mm-hmm. And same with um, some of the music from uh, Elvis Presley on the sun sessions was released, you know, in 56 or whatever. Uh, but in terms of the actual release date, this is the fourth oldest. There's only three more on the list uh, that predate this in its original release. Uh, these were written by uh, credit is to Richard, Peniman, that's Little Richard's uh, birth name, Richard Wayne Peniman, uh, and others. So uh, Little Richard wrote or co-wrote eight of the 12, and the other four were covers by people that weren't uh, familiar to me, so not not like they were big hits. They were just other songs that were in the ether. Uh, in 1957, this went to number 13 on the Billboard Pop Albums chart. I could find no data for sales. Um, I don't know if you found anything in a search, but I couldn't. No, I didn't find anything. No. Uh, a few notes on the production of the album. It was produced by uh, Bumps Blackwell. Great handle, Bumps. I think it's uh, Richard Blackwell, but uh, he was known as Bumps. Bumps Blackwell. Um, I like it. And I didn't know the name, and you might not know the name, but you'll know... His work, he's best known for his work overseeing the early hits of not only Little Richard, but also for grooming the likes of Ray Charles, Quincy Jones, Ernestine Anderson, Lloyd Price, Sam Cooke, Herb Alpert, Larry Williams, and Sly and the Family Stone. So a very uh, influential and I would say popular producer and really in that neck of the woods boy, those are some big names right there that he was at the start of their career. So uh, here he is producing uh, Little Richard's first album. And he also co-wrote three of the songs on this album, including uh, Long Tall Sally, which was one of the biggest hits from this album and Little Richard's early career. Um, Like many artists of the era, Little Richard had previously had some singles and as we've discussed with some of the other early artists we've talked about, Ben, the artists weren't necessarily releasing albums at the time. Sometimes the record company would release uh, compilation albums. And this, some of it, not in 1957, but some of it predates the LP, the long playing album. So it would have just been singles or compilations of maybe a few tracks from different artists that the record company would release. And artists didn't necessarily have their own albums, mostly because up until in the early fifties, there was no LP. Yeah. Um, and as, as we've talked, you know, there was, you could get a whole book of discs, each with a few songs on it. That would be the album. 
Yeah. Uh, so Little Richard had six. He had six top 40 singles the previous year. And some of those are on this album. So he was all, he had already become a popular recording artist, even though he hadn't released, quote, uh, a debut album. So a question I have for you, Mike, do you feel um, different about this quote unquote debut album than uh, when we reviewed Elvis's Sun Sessions? Yes, I do. For those listeners who may not have caught that episode, when we talked about the Sun Sessions, we remarked how odd it was to be, you know, it makes sense to be tackling music from an artist that came out in an era sort of before albums, but the Sun Sessions, I think, were released in the 1980s. Is that right? Um, so, like, decades. I want to say 76. But but decades after the music initially came out, so it wasn't like they sort of saved yes. up those yeah. uh, hit songs, and as albums were coming out, you know, re-released them all right away it was sort of like well after the fact after elvis had already had several albums that those early songs were repackaged together this is somewhat different with uh the debut album containing a lot of those early singles yeah i would agree with you and that's the reason why i would agree with you because of the proximity of time because i don't think Little Richard had, well, I think he might have been performing as early as 53, but some of his breakthrough hits were happening, you know, 55, 56. So to take those singles and songs from 55, 56, and in 57, put them on the, on an album, that doesn't seem out of place to me. Um, but Elvis's first album, which came out in, I believe, in 56, it didn't contain any of those early songs. But instead of releasing them a few years later, they don't get released till 20 years later. Hmm. And to me, um, I don't want to say that it doesn't make sense because I think it's great that they were able to put those all in one place, that, that the consumer could buy that and have it all on one disc. I think the problem I had with it majorly, and I, I believe that you and I agreed on this, was that Rolling Stone was saying it was one of the greatest albums of all time. And that I didn't agree with because yeah. it wasn't an important or great. The music was great. The songs were great. And some of them were some of the, quote, the first rock and roll songs, even though we also disputed that. But in terms of commercial or let's say uh, big record labels or the white audience, it was the first rock, really popular rock and roll music from a white artist. Uh, so to say that um, that was great music yes but the album itself that was released in 76 no i, I don't think it believes very be number, different yeah sorry. yeah i don't think it it deserved to be number 11 on the top 500 list uh this one and we'll get to our conclusions at the end this one seems to make sense because it was again in that same era it was only you know less than two years after he recorded those songs so that's yeah that that's how i feel about that good answer i agree <laughs> okay <laughs> I kind of, you kind of got me going there i wasn't yeah. sure if i was gonna over explain that um no and this i wouldn't call this a compilation album right um even though it might not have all been in one recording session it was the first time they had been put on a on an album I, they, they might have been some of them released as singles but it, it's not a it's not a compilation album to me it's a right uh, again, might have been from different recording sessions, but it's one it's one studio album. It's a debut album. And you know what? Even today, for the last 40 years, a lot of debut artists, they might have an indie release that and that never really goes big and then get signed to a label. And a lot of artists, some people that we know, take recordings that might be one, two, three years old that were on that indie release, maybe not very polished or in a studio that didn't have all the resources mm -hmm. and take those same songs and do them again on their official release right right so how was that any different than than something like this right right yeah does that make sense what i said yeah made sense in my head okay <laughs> um and last thing about the album that i have here uh tutti frutti uh, opening track on this album and we'll talk about it when we get into tracks. It was listed number 43 in Rolling Stone magazine's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time. Ooh. 
So uh, not only an iconic album here, but also a very, very iconic song in Tutti Frutti. A lot of people would point to it as uh, kind of an origin track for rock and roll, too. Absolutely. I definitely got that sense when I listened to it. Right, right. I think it holds a lot of, uh, I guess, in the in the sort of uh, big, bold sound, uh, a loud, sing-alongable chorus. Um, even in terms of like a kind of faster-paced, guitar-driven uh, sound, I, I think a lot of the elements of sort of standard rock and roll applies to that song and, and because it is so early and, and such a early success it gets lifted up in that in that seminal kind of way yeah it's got that same it's just like hound dog right it's mm-hmm. the same structure repeating the words it's it's a 12 bar uh, blues jam just sped up with you know uh, kind of more exuberant piano guitar riffs uh, more more aggressive drums um, mm-hmm. a, a very explosive kind of again exuber i think exuberance the word it's just kind of it's in your face right yeah the vocal is in your face especially a little richard um everything about it you could sing hound dog over top of the music for this oh yeah yeah you're right no problem (laughs) it's like it's the same thing (laughs) yeah um uh, we said this isn't a compilation album, but when I look at the when I look at the the layout of the cover for this album, it does kind of have that feeling, like just oh, a yeah, yeah. The you know the the background is just kind of like a you know stock image background. Uh, you can see the the label name in the corner. The the block capital lettering. The lettering almost looks more modern, but it is just very simple. Very big staged image of the artist on yep. the front. I don't know. It just it, it doesn't seem very. But I mean, it's it doesn't. I was going to say it doesn't seem artistic, but it is of the time. I mean, that's what you would have seen of the time. It's just an image of the very simple image of the artist. I guess I I agree with you though. I think it reminds me a lot of uh, Sun Sessions, which you've already mentioned, and um, Chuck Berry's. Uh, Chuck compilation Mary. album that, that we talked about the great 28 um both had yeah. kind of that like um i don't know almost like cookie cutout uh sort of template I, sort of that's what i was just gonna say <laughs> cutout yeah just it's especially this is just like shoulders and head but for chuck berry it was his whole body but it was totally cut out yeah and placed onto a, a background right instead of seeing the context of where that that photo was taken on the original release, not the deluxe release with all sorts of extra takes, <laughs> the original <laughs> release was 12 tracks, six per side, which is like whew, textbook <laughs> uh, LP length, oh, probably like half an hour, like less than half an hour, 20, 28 minutes. So so still very short. Yeah. Uh, side one is Tutti Frutti. True Fine Mama. Can't believe you want to leave. Ready Teddy. Baby. Slipping and a sliding. Side two is Long Tall Sally. Miss Anne. Oh, why? Rip it up. Jenny Jenny. She's got it. Some good names there. Great names, great song names. And you, you've talked about this a lot, and I'll comment here. When I say the names of those songs, because it's often the refrain, and it's repeated a whole lot, I can sing it in my head. Sometimes we do it, we've done an album where you say the name, you're like, wait, how does that one go? But this one uh, kind of jumps right to it. 
Yep. On the nose, but I, I like that. I like that I you know, I hear you say that track list and I know exactly what songs you're talking about. <laughs> yep. When you asked me what my preconceived notions were, one of the things I said was I thought that they would all sound very similar. Mm. And for the most part, I think I found that to be true. We've seen that in some of the other artists, especially when they were artists that were kind of creating or discovering a new style of music or a new genre. So I don't say that that it's a negative thing or I'm... Um, sorry, what's the word? Criticizing right. this album or the artist for doing that because they were the first one to do it. So you're, you're trying something new. Everything's going to sound like that new thing. And no one's going to have an issue with it because it's it's just all exciting because all of it's new. Um, there were some differences and some diversity, but they're all pretty similar. Again, that kind of 12, 12 bar blues structure of this early rock and roll music. Yeah. Um, Two chords with a third chord sort of as the transition one. Yep. And, and often Absolutely. The, yep. the, That's um, it. the tempo is the thing that changes from track to track, not necessarily... Yeah, the structure of the song, but just how fast they're playing. <laughs> and although you know, I thought the piano playing was very good, which I think a lot of it is Little Richard. Um, you know, and there was nothing wrong with the 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 sax. There's some great, just absolutely ripping saxophone in this. Um, I'm a sax player, so I love that. It's very of the time, kind of very. Uh, uh, a lot of the sax playing that we hear in this, and some of the other stuff of the time you can tell that the saxophone player is blowing very hard. Like it just mm -hmm. sounds like it's the air is being just that very almost um, whiny sound, or you can hear the reed buzzing because they're blowing so hard on it. Um, and, and it's uh, there's no, um, there's nothing soft. Like, okay. So a lot of this reminded me of James Brown, especially the, the tremendous vocal delivery um, little Richard just he just again he wails he blasts those vocals and it reminded me of James Brown but the one yeah. difference I noticed is that James Brown had some very powerful ballads mm -hmm. some slower songs and when we listened to the live recording uh, live at the Apollo you heard like the women in the crowd like just going nuts for those ballads they were just swooning I don't hear that with Little Richard it's all just uh, you know pedal to the metal 100 mile an hour you know crank to 11 the whole time just mm -hmm. blasting mm -hmm. um and an insane amount of energy just wild yeah uh, and I, again that's not a criticism but that was just like this is just on at the top cranked all the time go 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 there was no kind of like okay we're gonna slow it down for this track and this is more of a love song no it's all just uh uh, wop bop a loo bop. Yeah, you know, just bam. I I feel like we're in some dangerous territory here of just wild speculation. I almost wish wish we had, um, you know, one of our previous guests on the on the phone right now who might be able to fill us <laughs> yeah. in a little bit better. But I I found myself wanting to listen to James Brown while listening to this because I almost feel like he refines this with his music that comes just a yeah. little bit later. Um, there are some similarities, but I, I don't know. It's almost like taking this like form that he's working with um, and, and sort of just, just adjusting it slightly to kind of make it more of an art form and, and to maybe make it a little bit different uh, on each track too. I, I, I get some sense that that's going on. I, yeah, I find myself going back and forth between like, just thinking, you know, just trying to continually remind myself how new this was at the time and yeah yeah and how formative it is for so much of the music that comes after it too like you know i, I it sounds belittling to say two chords with a third alternate chord to to add in for the transitions um but a lot of music is still created that way just in a a different kind of way and, and maybe with a more polished studio setting or, or different kinds of instrumentation yeah, um, technology. Uh, yeah. And um, so, yeah, I can't, I can't forget all of those things while I'm listening to it or I end up getting kind of bored, I think. 
yeah, I, th- I, I think that's a challenge for us listening to this. I, I found the same thing, Ben, you know, it's like, okay, I'm in the, you know, 10th track and they're all kind of the same. Sometimes when I listened through it, I had that sometimes I was more excited. Um, but there, there's, they're good. And there's some absolute gems here. I love long tall Sally. Yeah. Uh, it's a great song. Um, rip it up. Jenny, Jenny. It's one of my favorites. Uh, I'm, I'm ready. Teddy. I guess I really like the rhyming song. Uh, <laughs> uh and most one of the most notable, um, I wanted to talk a bit about Tutti Frutti. Uh, first, I have very vivid memories of watching a movie uh, in the kind of half basement of one of the houses you grew up in, Ben. Um, and we watched on your black and white, black and white TV, uh, The Brave Little Toaster, an animated movie from the 80s. Oh, yeah. And I very vividly remember this song being on a very early, uh, a scene early in the movie where the boy is with all his beloved appliances and one of them's a radio and they've got Tutti Frutti on the radio. Um, and at the time, I had no idea who who sang it. And uh, wow. but I'm pretty confident that was probably the first time I ever heard Tutti Frutti. Wow, what a memory! And I have, I have watched that. My wife and I watched this movie a few years ago as an adult, and uh, it really doesn't hold up. <laughs> I uh, I forget which streaming platform I saw it on recently, and thought, oh, I, I bet my kids would like that. But um, that's a good. <laughs> Good reminder that some of those memories don't always hold up very well. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I have memories of really liking it as a kid, and we watched it yeah. and looked at each other and went, this is weird. This is weird. <laughs> this is a weird movie. It's, and at the end, it get, they're in the scrapyard, and there's these monster scrap metal crushing machines trying to crush them. It's just oh, yeah. it's traumatizing. Anyways. I like your, your connection to nostalgia because I think that's what this music does for me too. Like, and it's not even nostalgia for a specific moment in time, like what you've mentioned, but more just of another era. I think when I listen to this music, I think about, um, you know, going to a drive-in or going to uh, a diner. Um, I, you know, I think, even a sort of modern version of that, like, I don't know if you've ever been to the chain Johnny Rockets. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of like a chain diner where you can get milkshakes and the waitresses are wearing poodle skirts right. and there's a giant jukebox in the corner. Um, I'm sure that <laughs> music of this style is playing right now in whatever Johnny Rockets uh, coronavirus oh, aside. Sure. <laughs> Even without customers, I'm sure that yeah. the music is still playing. Uh, just to set it's the scene going. and the and the vibe, you know, um, the lots of chrome, lots of white, uh, um, you know, the paper hats on the, the server. Um, yeah, I think it just, I hear this and it immediately, like almost like it's setting the mood in a movie, a, a timepiece to, to make sure that we're thinking about the 1950s. Um, yeah, there, there's something, I, I guess something brilliant about music that immediately transports you to another time. Uh, and this definitely does. Well, I think, I don't know about you, but you know, that movie and some of these songs do take me back to me being a kid. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes sense because when you're a little kid, what music do you listen to? Especially back, you know, before the internet age and before there was a lot of children's music. As a kid, you listen to the music that your parents listened to. Right. And what music as an adult do you associate with the most? Probably the music you grew up with. So for us, it's a lot of the music from the 90s and early 2000s. For our parents, the music's of of the 50s and 60s and 70s. So it's no surprise that you and I do have some association to some of this and reminding us of being kids because our parents would have listened to a lot of this stuff, even though um, they, you know, even though it was the 80s, they were still playing back to the songs of the, depending on exactly how old our parents are, 50s, 60s, and 70s. So I'm not surprised that that happens. And if we're watching a movie in the 80s, um, the people who are making those movies grew up in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. So they're putting in some of the music from their childhood. So that makes sense to me too. It's weird how we have all this music bringing us memories and the music's from all these different eras too. Yeah, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Tutti Frutti, the song, because it is so iconic. Um, 
It was co-written by Little Richard, but also uh, there are two other people who are credited. Uh, Joe, I don't know how to say this last name, Joe Lubin or Joe Lubin, uh, who I believe was uh, maybe one of the musicians, and Dorothy Flabostri. She's the lyricist. Um, And there's a few different stories as to the background of the lyrics to this song. So some of the the stories are that Little Richard was frustrated with um, trying to create a a song for this album or before and, and, and just having a bit of a tough time with doing a single. And so he sat down and banged out on the piano now, the first part, which is not disputed, is the opening, a wop bop a loo bop a wop bam boo That was Little Richard's vocalization of a drum riff that he heard mm-hmm. or that was being played. And he was just, as you said, he was using his mouth as, a, as an instrument, and he was just vocalizing uh, a drum riff, which I think is so cool and creative. Um, and then... Uh, the one of the stories is that he created lyrics, but they were very sexual. So the one one of the renditions is that the lyric was "Tutti Fruity, Good Booty." Uh, you can decide, Ben, if you want to cut this or not. <laughs> the, the, the the lyric was "Tutti Fruity, Good Booty." Uh, if it don't fit, don't force it. You can grease it, make it easy. And um, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then um, the drummer said that the original lyrics were, uh, "If it's tight, it's all right, and if it's greasy, it makes it easy." Well, the producer said, "You know, we can't, <laughs> we can't release those lyrics, uh, and especially with uh, some of uh, rumors about Little Richard's uh, sexuality at the time, they said we can't do that." He hired Dorothy Labostri, who was uh, a lyricist. And she came up with these lyrics. Now, she says uh, Little Richard had nothing to do with writing any of those lyrics. I'll tell you exactly (laughs) how I wrote it. (laughs) I used to go to an ice cream shop with my girlfriend all the time. And one day we went in and there was a new flavor called Tutti Fruity. And I said, "Uh, that's a great name. I'm going to write a song about that. And I kept it in my mind until I had to write lyrics. And I pulled it out to write this song. And I wrote that. It had nothing to do with him or uh, any of his ideas. So (laughs) disputing uh, stories about the genesis of that song. But um, she wrote Tutti Frutti uh, Rudy, which was apparently slang for um, it's all right. Man, how do we decide which one to believe? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love, again, I love just the lore and the myth of some of the, the music and... You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the story from the lyricist herself. <laughs> I kind of like <laughs> go with that one. Yeah, I kind of like the, <laughs> that the legend is just sort of still undecided, right? That it you can kind of yeah. choose your own yeah. adventure there and, and uh, go with whichever one you yep. feel uh, appropriate for in the day. <laughs> so that's kind of some of the backstory of that, and. Um, in- interesting stories there and i'm sure there's lots of other stories about the other tracks but that was one especially from one of the more popular tracks um that yeah. jumped out to me those of you listening uh you know that we have a spotify playlist for the sound logic podcast where we pick two tracks for each album uh ben would you have a favorite to go on our playlist actually what wh- <laughs> I think I'm going to be a little bit uh, mean here and, and ask you to go first because I'm curious what you're going to pick, and uh, that might influence oh. what I go with after that. Oh, okay, I see what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am I. Uh, I don't have to think about it at all. My pick is Long Tall Sally. I love the track. I love everything about it. Um, it's an absolute blast. I love the lyrics. Uh, uh, it's just great. It's fantastic. Okay, uh, that was what I thought you would say. Um, Does that help you? That that makes my <laughs> I I guess my impulse is to put Tutti Fruity on because I think that's the other one that jumps out right away and probably the one that most people know. But uh, I'm feeling some sense that probably most people know Tutti Fruity already, 
Um, I think the slower ballad of Can't Believe You Want to Leave represents some of the slower tempo songs really nicely. And so, I, I don't know, maybe we need to make this more of a, okay. um, a group think process. But what do you think about not putting Tutti Frutti on the list and going with Can't Believe You Want to Leave? I think uh, we can do whatever we want. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll, we'll go with Can't Believe You Want to Leave that as the second song. I think Apologetics would say that we would be remiss in not putting Tutti Frutti on anything from this album. However, I would also agree with you that everyone's already heard that song. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you're going to, and if, and if you, if you have the other two songs that we've listed, Tutti Frutti is going to come up next. I think that's right. A, yeah. A mix or whatever. So, and, and if you were like, Oh, I really like that. I want to listen to more little Richard. That's going to be one of the first songs. That comes up. Yeah. So I don't really feel bad about it. Um, and I think it's great that we have a little diversity there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's great. Okay. Fantastic. And um, just a milestone there. Uh, this is the 50th album we've reviewed, which means we now have a playlist of 100 songs. So if you're one of those people that likes nice round numbers, um, go check it out. We've got 100 songs waiting for you to go and enjoy. <laughs> or we will at least until we record the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And if, and if you put it on shuffle, and even if you don't put it on shuffle, um, it's a pretty eclectic mix. <laughs> it really is. It really is. <laughs> of songs. It really is. Yeah. Uh, go from uh, Nirvana to Robert Johnson back to uh, Michael Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> it's like quite something else. Yeah. yeah and I guess, um, you know, just a couple general comments on the album. His vocal performance, I think, just is way out in front of everything else. Um, yeah, there's, you know, there's some sax solos or some other stuff, but uh, I think that his career was carried, especially the beginning, by his just electrifying vocal performance. Again, that's what reminds me of James Brown. Also, the energy. I mean, sure. I watched some video when we did James Brown, and I'm sure the fact that Little Richard was probably seated a lot of the time at the piano as opposed to James Brown doing like a two hour dance routine uh, yeah. <laughs> makes it very different, but um, just the energy uh, just seems to be limitless. Yeah. Uh, when I listen to 12 tracks all in a row of little Richard, it's just like, where does this guy get it from? So that's, I think one of the things that really uh, jumped out to me just in general about the album. So when you listen to this, Ben, do you think this music is still relevant? You talked about, you know, maybe in a 50s style diner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you'd still you'd still hear it, but in general, even compared to some of the rock music made today, what do you think? Um No, I, I think its relevancy lies in its uh historic importance. And so mm. I to me that just doesn't mean that something is relevant I, I i think it's important music but not terribly relevant for right now at this moment um it's not even like this is a black artist singing about the struggles of being black in the united states of america it's it's pretty soft right. music too um not that it yeah. not that it's bad or 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 suffers because of that being fairly no. lighthearted, but, but, uh, you know, it goes with that, that era and that style. So yeah, I don't think there's much here that I would say is terribly relevant today other than to sort of hold up like you would a textbook and say, you know, if I was taking that class with, um, my professor, Barry Taylor, looking at the history of pop music, this has got to be one of the early lectures, right? Um, this is important if you want to take in the scope of American pop mm -hmm. music, uh, just not terribly relevant yes. for music today. I agree. And uh, the one conclusion I came up with, and I am kind of sad to say this, but I think there might be some truth in it. I think this might be one of the styles of music that we start to see disappearing. Uh, obviously, everything it will still exist because we have technology and things recorded. But in terms of people really knowing what it is, new generations, I think we'll start to see this disappear in the next couple of decades as some of our older generations of, of people start to leave us. Mm. And I think 
you know, if you went to a wedding 10 or 20 years ago, you would have heard, you know, a tutti frutti come on and all the boomers or even parents of boomers who can still move are getting up and dancing because that's the music they are familiar with. I think that's, you know, as those generations start to depart, I think this type of music will, will also be kind of leaving. And I don't think people our age will be putting this music on to say, Hey, remember this, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think in contrast to an artist from even a decade, just a decade later, like the Beatles, I don't think the same thing will happen for that type of music and that band in particular. Hmm. Think of how many people our age, Ben, who absolutely love the Beatles and will continue to play the Beatles and play it for their kids. And your kids, your kids know who the Beatles are. Yeah. And uh, I think they might, when they get older, have some Beatles in their collection and that'll be, you know, pushing 70 years after it came out. Um, Hmm. I might push back on that a little bit. Uh, okay. Okay. And yeah, let's hear it for one reason only. Uh, just recently, I was listening to an episode of uh, "You Made It Weird," uh, Pete Holmes' podcast, and for some reason, the Beatles came up. And um, Pete admitted that he doesn't really like the Beatles, and the reason is that he went to a somewhat progressive uh, private school growing up, where the Beatles were kind of the songs that were put on in school. And so when he listens to the Beatles today, it it's sort of a childlike uh, boredom kind of sinks in. And I wonder if we will reach a point with the Beatles, like we have with Little Richard, where they, they have been so saturated and so much a part of the fabric that my kids will say, eh, yawn, like... That's the music you start out with before you move on to something a bit more real. Kind of in the same way that we are talking tonight. Um, I, I've only heard that sort of little glimmer uh, a couple of times, but I've had that happen once or twice with some other friends as well, where their impression of the Beatles is not um, revolutionary artists, but, but more like what we're talking about with Little Richard here tonight of... Uh, you know, something that came before the good music and inspired the good music. So I I wouldn't be, I would be sad, but I won't be as surprised if, if even the Beatles start to lose relevancy as time moves on. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's just, well, being the devil's advocate for tonight, but... <laughs> No, I, I don't. I don't mind that. I see two problems with that. The first being uh, that you would take anything that Pete Holmes says seriously. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> and and second, I think with the Beatles, it'll just take a lot longer than any other artist. I think that's definitely possible when, for it to become irrelevant. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, he might be on to something there uh, in the you know the context to which you grew up with it. Yeah, I think it's happening with some of the Beatles peers, right? Like the Beach Boys, um, I think have almost reached that kind of oldies uh, patina at this point that it's kind of surfer rock for your grandparents, not, you know, with maybe Pet Sounds as the one exception. Right of uh, something that maybe we still hold on with some respect. Um, and the Beatles were not that far behind that era. So I, I think the Beatles sound is far more diverse than some of these other groups that we're talking about. And maybe that will hold their legacy a little longer. And I think for whatever reason, they've held a longer generational hold on different ages of people. Um, yeah. I'm just yeah, sending up I, a signal flare right now. I, I, <laughs> that it, it, no, I think I think that's fine, and I think that you know everything has a time limit, and yeah. everything does pass eventually. Um, you know, even I mean, there's only a handful of artists that we can all name from you know the Baroque or Renaissance era, mm -hmm. and I'm sure there was tons. And recording artists from the 30s and 40s and 50s, we can only remember a handful of those. I think a real test is what you pass on to your kids mm -hmm. and what kind of they hold on to. Um, because the Beatles, 
were passed on to us. Like, like my dad was four years old when the Beatles came out. Um, you know, it wasn't even really his music. And still, I'm passing it to my kids. And I think that says something. I mean, yeah, you and I are music fans. We're into this list and all that stuff. But if some of our generation is still passing music down that one or two generations before them listened to, I think that's saying something. I mean, I'm not passing Little Richard down. And he wasn't even passed down to me. Right, right. So I think that whatever that means, and I don't know what that means, but and um, that could just be my culture too and kind of the area and demographics of where I live. Uh, that could be totally different for a lot of cities in the U.S. Uh, who are like, oh, definitely passing this down. It's, it's part of our heritage, you know? So, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. 100%. Um, uh, say, and vice versa could be said about the Beatles. They might say, well, I never passed that down. That's nothing to do with me. Yeah. <laughs> right? right? So right. I get it. But I just think that even just the style of this music uh, the Beatles still seems to fit in. But again, that could just be from my vantage point. And I I just, it was the first time, Ben, that I really thought, hmm, maybe as we see generations leave, this is something that we'll leave with them because no one else is going to be. I think you're right. Playing this. Yeah. It may go around again. Who knows? Man, that was a bigger tangent than I thought it would be. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> kind, of, kind of a kind of a sad thought. Yeah, bit of a sad thought because you know, every, again, everything has its time. Yeah, um, but it's different. So all that being said, got <laughs> <laughs> a big tangent about about whether it's relevant. I think we agreed it's not really relevant, but very important. Yes. Uh, what do you think about the? ranking was number 50 um my son and i had a very quick math lesson he said so that's a tenth you're a tenth one tenth through the list i said that's right mm-hmm. <laughs> way to go <laughs> one tenth um was this ranking sound logic what do you think i uh yeah i think this is a fine spot for it i think this is sort of where i think a lot of the other um earlier music we've heard should have shown up uh so i'm fine with it here and totally agree uh i i wouldn't have minded if it was nudged down a little bit more i don't think it needs to be any higher on the list um yeah how about you i i totally agree i i kind of thought that all the kind of really historic but not like okay you know there are some massive albums, right? Like Rumors, yeah. uh, Thriller, Dark Side of the Moon, Sgt. Peppers. You know, those are the ones that I thought would all be stacked to the front. And then the ones that weren't necessarily big sellers, but were really, really important, like stuff like this. And um, even the Sun Sessions for its significance of the music. Yes. And, uh, you know, maybe the Chuck Berry compilation album. And other really, really important music but not necessarily you know an iconic album per se i thought it would kind of have its place here like somewhere between 40 and 80 you know or between 50 and 100 as like oh i'd never really heard that before listen to that but yes it's a really important part of music history it sits here this is where i thought that would be and i would agree with you ben some of those albums uh i thought would kind of land here or I'd never really heard them before, but can see why they're significant, as opposed to maybe albums that we're going to listen to uh, in the 300s, 400s that were like really important in the 90s. So they're not important to everybody, like the people who were making music in the 60s and 70s uh, and writing about it, who were voting, wouldn't necessarily pick an album from the 90s. Yeah. But it's a really good album. Okay, I see its place in the 300s or 400s. Right, um, right. So anyways, yeah, this is, this is where I expected a lot of the stuff that we've already listened to, yeah. <laughs> uh, to land. Yeah. So I, I have no, I have, I have no problem with this around the 50 spot. I'm with you. I couldn't see it being too much higher, especially I, we don't really have, I couldn't find any good data on sales. So it's not like right. we can say, right. well, like we can comment about, you know, oh, well it sold really well. So like, we don't yeah. know, but. 
anyways, yeah, that's fine. And, you know, I feel like I've been saying this a lot lately. Uh, this is the only entry for Little Richard on the list. That's it. Interesting. One and done. Same with our, our last one, Almond Brothers, right? Same yeah, thing. yeah. I wonder if that has to do with the dynamic of uh, so many of his early signals made it onto this album. And so it kind of stacked it a little bit compared to his others. If uh, If most of his other stuff was sort of a one or two single kind of. Uh, record uh, who knows i'm just wildly speculating with that but i don't know I, I i and honestly again as i mentioned earlier i'm really not that familiar with his catalog right. yeah and this album doesn't necessarily re- inspire me to go and dig any deeper either unfortunately um <laughs> no well, and, and i'm kind of embarrassed to say yeah, that as well yeah. i feel like having listened to these 12 tracks i've got a pretty good taste of what his music yeah. was like. And, and again, I could be totally wrong on that. Yep. Um, I'd have to really go and listen to it, but it's like, yeah, okay. I got it. Little Richard yeah. next you know, <laughs> like kind of thing. Right. But, um, uh, if you're a big fan of little Richard and love a lot of his other stuff and you're really mad that I just said that, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Feel free to leave us a comment right. <laughs> on Facebook or on our, uh, you can go to anchor.com and search us there and you could leave us a voicemail. Uh, we'd be happy to make mention of that or write a comment about that and, and post your comment uh, because we love getting feedback Indeed. about this stuff because as we said so many times, this is so subjective. It's all about opinion. This is our opinion. Uh, we're having a ton of fun just talking about it, uh, but we know that uh, we're certainly not experts in uh, the vast majority of this stuff, if not all of it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh uh, oh my gosh, we did it, Ben. 50 reviews. Oh, man. That's amazing. And do you know what that means? Uh, one of our favorite parts comes up next. We get to re-rank these past 10 albums and uh, see how they go into our own Woo-hoo. list of favorite albums. Oh, boy. That's always uh, been a lot of fun. We hope you join us next time. We want to thank you for listening. Uh, as always, Ben, thank you for joining me. It's fun to do this together. Yeah, here's to another 50 at least. Here's to another at least another 50 and until next time everyone listening uh, be safe and take care of yourselves. Have a good one. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.